Raising the Bar podcast, brought to you by the Association of Gray's Inn Students. Hello and welcome to the Raising the Bar podcast. This is another episode in our Meet the Barrister series with me, Alana Hughes. In the Meet the Barrister series, I speak to a different guest barrister and discuss their path to the bar and their practice. The aim of this series is to demonstrate that the bar is not a one-size-fits-all sort of profession, as it is sometimes wrongly assumed to be. Barristers come from a wide variety of backgrounds and specialise in many different areas of law. There is something for everyone. Lockdown measures that are currently in place to combat the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic mean that this episode is being recorded remotely and there may therefore be a slight reduction in audio quality. We hope that you won't mind. In a first for the Meet the Barrister series, I am tonight joined by not one, but two guests. My guests are Fazila Ishmael from Harcourt Chambers and Joe Talbert from Carmelite Chambers. Both are two new tenants specialising in family and crime, respectively. Both are here today to discuss the challenges they had to overcome completing their second six of pupillage during a global pandemic. For Joe, that was his third six. They have kindly agreed to share their experiences in the hope that current pupils who are undertaking pupillage in similar circumstances will be reminded that while the effects of COVID-19 certainly make for an extremely difficult pupillage, it is still absolutely possible to come out the other end with a tenancy offer. Welcome both to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming. No worries. Thank you for having us. Hi there. Fazila, if I just come to you first, would you mind sharing a little bit of background about yourself? What brought you to the law and what brought you to your specialism of family law? Thanks, Alana. This is like the classic pupillage question, isn't it? <laughs> At the interviews. I I, th- I think I've thought about this question a lot and it, and it changes as you develop in your practice, I think. Family laws about the balance of you're intimately involved in somebody's life. You are in helping them to move forward in a difficult position they're in, whether that be contact arrangements, whether that's financial settlements, care proceedings. It's it's twofold, really. It's the the oral advocacy whilst you're in court, the written advocacy. And then there's also the human element element where you're talking to people, you're advising clients. And it's that which really attracted me to family law, especially. It's normally a court-based approach where you're on your feet most days. That's changed since COVID. But it's something that that drew me to family law. And it's something that it makes it quite different to criminal or company or, or business law. It's it's quite court-based in that in that approach. And it's and also it's forward focusing. It's not focusing on a harm that's already happened, but it's about moving forward. So you're not looking to blame somebody for a contract that's been breached or a shop that's been robbed. It's about moving forward and how you can support the family. And that's what I think brought me to it. And Joe, then, I know that you are regularly instructed in cases involving young and vulnerable defendants within general crime. What was it that had you end up in in a criminal defence set? Uh, Yeah, so for me, really, my sort of journey into law and the bar generally started just doing work experience when I was still at school. I was fortunate enough to have a member of my family who was a a criminal barrister at the time, and he was able to have me sort of shadow him for a week. And I just fell in love with the job there. And then, to be honest with you, I spent time with him 
in a Crown Court trial. Uh, it was a robbery case. It sort of had all the glitz and glamour that you'd expect of a robbery case. And I was fortunate enough to be there uh, to have a look at the case papers. And I just caught the bug, you know, just sitting in court and a bit like Fazilia, really, that human aspect of crime. You know, you're there dealing with clients. You're dealing with people who have often been through some sort of trauma and being really there at the coalface dealing with that. I just caught the bug age 16. And that was kind of for me, I realized at that stage, that's all I wanted to do. And then everything I sort of subsequently did, university, bar school, was all very much channeled towards being a criminal barrister. And it's, yeah, as has already been said, it's being really on the front lines, dealing with everyday people, dealing with their problems and trying to help them as best they can with a way through it um, that really attracts me to it. And I know that setting the pandemic aside, um, because obviously that was a major factor for both of your pupillages, everyone every year during pupillage has a very different experience. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Um, some people sink, some people swim. You just don't know how you're going to react until you're in that situation. But as I say, setting aside the elephant in the room, which is the fact that you guys hit uh, a global pandemic when you were in your second six, just right at the beginning of it. What, apart from that, stands out as being the best thing about your pupillage, Fazila? I think it's being able to watch the masters at work. And it's, it, it really is having that unique opportunity to sit in a courtroom and to observe people who are at the top of their game, cross-examine witnesses or deal with issues that you don't really know how you would manage. And I think that that's it takes years and years to to craft the skill of advocacy. And, and, and Joe and I, I guess, are, are only really starting that path. And to watch people at the top of their game doing that is is really exciting. It's quite exhilarating to watch that. It's also learning different people's styles. So I was fortunate enough to shadow different people in chambers and seeing how they prep differently, how they would deal with an issue differently, how they would speak to different people, manage the courtroom, all of those things. So it's just that opportunity to sit and watch, which is not something that you get very much throughout your practice at all. So that's your golden time in pupillage. Joe, does that ring true for you as well? Or are there perhaps other things that you've identified as the standout sort of big bonuses of pupillages? No, I mean, I think absolutely what Fazia said in relation to certainly the first six months of being able to, uh, you know, build that relationship with your supervisor, follow different members of chambers and watch them in court, I think is fantastic. And certainly I think when you do get on your feet, I know I certainly looked back on first six with a, you know, a, a huge amount of fondness. I suppose the kind of highlight of, I suppose, the second half, second six, I found just when you first have that case where you feel like, you know, you've really done a good job and you've got a result for your client that really is going to make a difference. Um, I found that a really rewarding experience the first time that happens because, you know, you've, you've been on this long journey. Anyone who, who's come to the bar has, would have been on a long journey in terms of university and uh, bar school, whether it's the GDL, whatever it may be. You pull all this work in. And I think the first time that you, you have a case in your own right and you get that result and you feel like all that hard work has paid off, you know, that's a real sort of standout moment, I think, and something that the first time it happens, I think, is something that you probably will remember for the rest of your, your career, I would imagine. And I know that your experiences will have been very different given that um, you know, one of you are in crime and the other in family. But if we just go back to when you were first getting on your feet and that coincided 
so unfortunately with the beginning of lockdown the first time around. Um, Joe, if I just come to you first, what was the situation like on the ground for everyone in terms of um, did your work dry up completely? How long did it take you to get your first instructions? Were were criminal barristers still expected to be in court? What what was the situation and reality for you? Yeah, so my, my, my situation was probably slightly different in so much as when lockdown happened, I was actually in my third six. So kind of like, like a lot of crime sets do 18-month pupillages. And so I was actually meant to be coming to the end of that 18-month period in April of 2020. So I was actually coming up to hopefully when tenancy was going to be decided. And then lockdown obviously happened. And in terms of the impact on work, basically the Crown Courts shut down completely. Uh, there were no jury trials going on. So all the Crown Court work disappeared, which for a pupil, you know, we weren't doing, we weren't in the Crown Court every day, but we were certainly starting to make that transition to the Crown Court, doing certain certain hearings and certain sentences. Uh, and that dried up completely, that, that disappeared. We were then left with the Magistrates Court, which was operating on a, effectively an emergency basis. So what that means is they weren't doing any cases where clients were on bail, so uh, trials, stopped almost completely uh, with a few exceptions uh, and the only hearings that were really going on were what we call overnight first appearances so someone who is arrested brought to the police station the night before um, and they appear for their their very first hearing in the magistrate's court the next morning and, and those hearings by their nature are very much last minute hearings and so my practice like many of sort of my contemporaries of my my level and, and some of the other pupils we were left effectively being on on call in order to then come out and, and cover those hearings at a last minute. And that was really the majority of what we were doing for the for certainly the beginning of lockdown. And really, it, it carried on that way until the Magistrates Court and the Crown Court started to reopen and list more, more bail cases, which didn't really happen until sort of June, July sort of time. And so what about now, Joe? Have Has that settled? Have you found a rhythm again? Or is it still sort of definitely trying to figure things out? Uh, no, I mean, now it, it feels more or less like business as, as usual and as it was pre-lockdown. The Crown Court work is slowly but surely restarting again and starting to sort of come back into the diary as the Crown Courts reopen. And, and the Magistrates Court are operating largely as normal now. So, so trials are being listed, bail cases are being listed. And yeah, my workload is back up to pretty much the same level as it was before lockdown happened, to be honest. And Fazila, then, what what's the family perspective on all of this? So I think the family courts have to be very pragmatic. I think that there is there are lots of emergency hearings that, that needed to happen. I remember in the, the week that before lockdown, I was shadowing my supervisor on a case that was due to start a final hearing the week after. And lockdown happened. So we finished the court hearing on the Friday and then lockdown happened and we were we had to just come up with a solution. There had to be the final hearing that was it was a very quite a a difficult case. And the judge just said, well, we're going to have to use Skype for business. There, There has to be something. And I think that that pragmatic response was something that transcended throughout the family court. I think that there had to be a an alternative that was used. And at the same time, there were some members of our chambers who were involved in a court of appeal case that was multi-day, multi-witnesses. And I think they were using Zoom for that for that hearing and it was working quite well. So I think that there were those platforms in place to be used and it all needed to be brought together. And so within the family court, 
um, there was the president produced some guidance some, as to how the remote court would work. That guidance has been updated since, and so they've been they're using a cloud video platform, which is a, a specialist platform which is used for for hearings. And now that that's being rolled out across the court. So the family court have had to had to develop quite quickly. Still, there was the same drop in work. So, and as a pupil, I was still in my first six. I didn't start my second six till April. So, from for all of March and the start and April as well, I was shadowing supervisors. And not only are they trying to get to grips with all these different platforms to use, but then they've also got to think about this pupil that's trailing behind them uh, metaphorically now. So, I think that was the other difference that. No longer are you, you know, pushing, pushing the door behind your supervisor, going in and out of court and into the meetings. You've now got to try and do that electronically. And a couple of times I was shadowing different members of chambers and we would have the client conference on one platform, the advocates discussions on another platform and then the court hearing on another platform. So you'd have to, I remember sitting with a semicircle of devices just around me to try and make sure that I was covered on top of all of the bases. So that was something to get used to. It was, and your your role as a pupil, it, at that time, everybody's work was thrown into chaos and didn't really know what was happening. And similarly with the, pu- with, with the pupils as well, you sort of feel unsure as to what your position is and what you should be doing. So I think from when I was shadowing my supervisor, she had four to five cases a week. That instantly dropped. There was maybe one, two cases a week. There were some other members of chambers that I could go and follow as well. And, and I, was, I was doing that. But I think that it was it was a really confusing time for everybody. And I think myself and my co-pupil, we both we both acknowledge that as well, that it's it's difficult for everybody. And, and we didn't really know what was going to happen to us. But I think we just had to take it a day at a time and just work with what was what was available. And so in the downtime that I had, I was there were lots of webinars, there were lots of training materials and the Family Law Week to training podcast that we were doing as well. So it was using that time. I think another an, another part of the job is that you're as a barrister, you're constantly thinking of you're constantly thinking of your next case or what to do in in this case. And it, it's it's something where you don't really stop. You, you don't really stop in the job at all. And lockdown forced everybody to really take a step back and to think about things a lot more and maybe confront things they didn't really want to about you know the way they work or the way that they work moving forward so I think it was a really good break to reflect a bit more and and especially for me to think about how I want my career to progress as well and to think about what where I want to go so that's not really a a length of time that you have The, the job is so busy that you don't really have that time to reflect and think so it was really making the most of that I was also in in Harcourt Chambers, you do part of your pupillage. One of your supervisors is based in Oxford. I live in London, but I was living in Oxford at the time. So again, it was it was a different transition as well. So all of these things made the lockdown pupillage a different experience. But I think it's something that you could you could learn from. And I was so I started on my feet on the 2nd of April. I didn't do my first case until the 22nd of June. So it was a bit of a wait between between then. But again, you're using that time, you're reflecting. Also, it's not, not only just reflecting about your own progress, but reflecting on the case that's just happened. Often what happens is you 
finished the next case and you're prepping for the other case, you don't really have that time to think about the issues that were in your case, what you could have done differently, how that how else they could have been approached, do some extra reading around that. And that's a really precious and golden time that you wouldn't otherwise have had. So it was useful in some ways. But I think that now the family courts are working with the arrangements. We, we basically are back to normal. It's a, it's a whole new setup, really. The majority of my work is now remote. I have been to court, in-person court a few times to do final hearings or to do um, a, a couple of direction hearings where the parties cannot attend remotely. But the majority of the work is remote based. And just in terms of your feelings and emotions at that time, when you think about that period of time, Joe, for you heading into a tenancy decision imminently, Fazila, for you heading into second six, you know, the part where pupillage sort of gets real, so to speak, that's enough anxiety inducing generally, never mind having all of this extra pressure on top of that. And Joe, to come to you first, looking back, was it a very difficult time or was there sort of a general consensus of acceptance? There is nothing that anyone can do about this. We just have to find a way through. How, how did you manage? Yeah, I mean, I think there was a general feeling of the work has to carry on and we will have to to keep figuring our way through this sort of pandemic. Um, and certainly something I didn't mention earlier that I know Fazida sort of touched upon um, in quite a lot of detail there was in relation to remote working, that again was something that, that came into place in relation to the uh, both the magistrates court and the crown court and really with varying degrees of success. It's not something that um, I would say worked overly well in the magistrates court setting, although it is working quite well in the crown court. But I think that the, the general consensus when it first happened, I think was just as as kind of pupils, our view was, you know, we just we carry on working, we continue to to do the work that our clerks tell us needs to be done, and so you very much just I think got got your head down and got on with it as best you could. What I would say is that that's really where the support sort of network and the support mechanism within chambers really comes into its own. And I'm sure Fazida would have found the same thing, certainly within Carmelite and I'm sure other other criminal sets. The support network we had in terms of junior tenants and even more senior members of chambers was fantastic. Uh, you know, everyone was very much an open door policy. If you've got questions about, you know, what's happening, please do let us know. We had sort of uh, conversations about the tenancy decision and, and, you know, reassurance in terms of lockdown wasn't going to really impact that, uh, which, we, which was fantastic. And we also transitioned to having sort of weekly Zoom meetings, which we wouldn't normally have had. So in, in Carmelite, we would normally have weekly, when you're a pupil, weekly advocacy sessions. And that's training sessions within within chambers to try and get you on your feet. And then once you're on your feet to sort of support you in terms of transitioning to the Crown Court, that typically would have happened face to face in chambers. But obviously when lockdown happened, that was no longer possible. And so we transitioned to then doing those same sessions over over Zoom. And whilst they, they did entail still some training and still some sort of practical advocacy, to a large extent, it just became an opportunity to catch up, to speak to some of our fellow pupils, speak to junior tenants, speak to some of the senior members of chambers who lead the training. And, and it was really just a check-in session to make sure that everyone was doing okay, any concerns you had to vent them. So I would say that, yeah, it really just became an opportunity for everyone to sort of band together and just really calling upon those support networks that you have all the way through pupillage and you do call upon. But I think when something like that happens, you know, a lockdown, a pandemic, which really does impact your practice, I think that's really when those support networks come into their own. So it was a confusing time. It was a time of a lot of uncertainty. But I think because 
we were fortunate enough to have those support mechanisms there, it very much just became a case of, right, well, you know, I, I just need to crack on and, and keep doing what I need to do. And Fazila, for you, you just mentioned the training and seminars and the things that you did to try and keep busy while you waited on your first instruction. And it sounds from both of you as if in that sense, you have both adopted a very positive outlook towards this and tried to take the best of what there is from the ability to take a breather and reflect and things like that. Fazila, was it important for you to do those things to keep busy, to sort of keep your mind off of the worrying about what was ahead? I think I think that's the mindset that I I tried to adopt. And I think the reason I did that is because initially I was I was quite concerned. I remember thinking to myself, hold on, I'm two months in and I haven't done a case yet. People who were who were at my stage last year, they would have already done a few cases. But I really had to check myself and, and remember that we are pupils experiencing this pandemic. No other pupils have experienced something like this. And so I can't, it doesn't help you, help you to compare yourself to pupils of previous years, but to compare yourself to pupils who are in the same position as you. And once I'd come to that realisation, it, it helped quite a lot. And that's when I, I you, you develop that mindset of, well, what can I do to improve this situation that I am currently in? What can I do to to change my outlook here? Um, just just picking up on what Joe said in terms of the the welfare and the training side of things. The on the welfare side, Harcourt did a similar similar thing, in that we had weekly chambers tea that we had um, that became that was really nice. And I think part of chambers is being part of a supportive network of people who acutely understand positions that you're in and I think that that other members of chambers they also understood that the pupils are in an even more of a difficult position really because you didn't really have you had less of an idea what what you should be doing Um, and in terms of the the training side of things we have had advocacy training sessions with other members of chambers to support me and my fellow fellow people as well who just to do we, we I think we did a hearing on submissions before other members of chambers and not only did that teach you a little bit more about the law but also about the using a hearing on a remote platform which was quite helpful as well you you learn to juggle with all of those things and that's something that I've had to learn as well that you it's not a case anymore of just going and you know having a word with your client quickly you've got to go into a different platform and have and set up that hearing the the meeting with your client so those two things that the welfare and training side of things I think that they they both chambers were very supportive in that and I think that it was the acceptance that you are in, this is a changed experience for everybody and you've got to move move past that. And as, as Joe said, you just keep on working. You you have the same, I mean, that once, once the work trickled back in, you've just got to go, get on with it. And I think that's uh, another thing that we probably are quite good at doing. You just, just get on with it and you, you find a way through. If we move now just to discuss the transfer from pupillage through to tenancy and that transition process. Joe, did it take you a while to transition into your new status in Chambers? And what sort of cases, now that you are a junior tenant, do you regularly be instructed on? What's your what's your bread and butter cases, if you like, in, in crime for for a new tenant? Yeah, I mean I think I think the first thing to say is that the transition has 
undoubtedly been impacted by COVID. And I think that's the same again for sort of all my contemporaries that I know from other chambers at my level. I think typically what, what you would expect as a sort of crime pupil transitioning into tenancy is you would hope to be doing less magistrates court work and more crown court work. That's really the sort of the hope when you become a tenant. The reality is that although the Crown Court has started to reopen and trials are being listed, the Crown Court is not operating at the same sort of capacity that it was in the past. And the result has been that uh, although I became a tenant in July, my practice hasn't changed overnight. You know, it's, it, it's a case of I'm still doing a lot of magistrates court work because that is the vast majority of the work that is still going on um, and is available. What I would say is what I have noticed in the transition is that slowly but surely now, work that I'm picking up in the magistrates court that has then gone to the Crown Court, I'm now keeping an increasing amount of that of that work so that in the future, those will go on to be my trials. And, and that's quite nice. The first time you start to get that sort of work where you carry it on from the very first appearance in the magistrates court to do the PTPH in the Crown Court to then later on do the trial. You know, that's quite a nice feeling and a sense of achievement when that starts to come into your diary. But I think, yeah, it's strange, you know, becoming a becoming a tenant during lockdown, because if it was pre-lockdown, we would have expected to be physically in chambers, interacting with members of chambers. You know, you'd get assigned your room in the building um, and there'd be a bit more of, I suppose, of a ceremony and sort of symbolism to it. The reality is at the moment it's all been done remotely, you know, so all the congratulations, all the sort of the normal stuff you'd expect being a tenant has still been there, but it's all been done remote and it's 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 felt a little bit different. But it's still, you know, it's still something that has been, it's been great having that tendency now, not being a pupil, not having to, I suppose, pupil paranoia, and I'm sure Fazil will know what I mean by pupil paranoia. It never goes away. And I think still being a junior tenant, I still have that sort of paranoia when I'm, I'm covering a case for someone in chambers or I'm doing something with someone more senior. You always have that concern as to whether or not you're doing something right. But it's nice because once you're a tenant, there are then pupils, you know, the year or two below you who you then can start to help out and you can start to sort of try and guide through the process and impart some of, I mean, I'm not going to call it wisdom, but impart some of what you've learned in the course of your pupillage, you start to then impart that to them um, and to try and help them. And that's a really nice feeling as well, because I think like Vizia said, a lot of the time when you're a pupil, you don't have a lot of time to stop and reflect. You just get your head down, you do, you're doing cases, you're turning them over very quickly and you never pause for breath and you never really think about how far you've come. But I think once you then become a tenant and you then have pupils below, you know, below you who are then asking you questions, asking you things, suddenly you realise, oh, actually, I know the answer to that. You know, I, I know how to do that. I know how to do this. And it's then that you realise just how far you've come in the last sort of 12 or 18 months. And that's quite a nice feeling as well. Um, so, yeah, it, it's been a strange time, but I've still really enjoyed transitioning to tenancy I've really enjoyed getting more involved with chambers. So I now help out with some, some of the advocacy training that we deliver to our pupils. I'm now involved in, in that. Um, and it's been nice to sort of get involved and, and to feel like you're, you're helping the sort of the next generation of barristers below you. And Fazila, what about you? How was that transition period? I think anybody who, who sets out to do this job the day that you change your email signature to barrister is is an incredible feeling because you've worked so many years pursuing this career and that really is the recognition that you that you've done it that you've made it and it's really important to take that step back and just as joe said to reflect on 
what you have achieved because there isn't that time really to do that and I it's something that I still it still shocks me now that I still write that and I'm sure it will continue to do that for a, for a long time but it still sinks in that you are a barrister and that you have achieved this I think in terms of the of the transition in the past couple of weeks I've really noticed the importance of having a building of having a chambers wherein you can drop into somebody's room have a quick chat about a case that you're working on and even ask in, in quite a you know an offhand informal way whereas now the emphasis is that if you are struggling on something or if you if you're not really sure about an issue you have got to pick up the phone and just ring somebody and I'm learning increasingly that you just have to do that and you have to there's more of an emphasis now on you that you you do have to phone somebody if you're if you, you can't just walk into their room anymore um but it's nice having that ownership of having that you you're now self-employed you now are able to manage your practice and that's really important you learn you, you start to develop your own networks and things and as joe said the in terms of the repeat instructions and getting following that case through it's really nice so the first case that i did the hearing on i'm still i've still got that case and i'm still doing the hearings on it and that's a really nice feeling that you're being involved in a case for a couple of hearings and seeing it progress in terms of the bread and butter work of what i do as a junior tenant it's not really that different to, to as a pupil the difference really is probably the increase of work i think so in terms of the the work it's the case management hearing so in care proceedings you don't just make the final decision at the first hearing there are a couple of hearings before that and they're called case management hearings they set up all the evidence that comes in whether that be assessments of the parents a psychological assessment any medical evidence all of those things so those are the sorts of hearings that you'll do in care proceedings in private proceedings you'll be doing the directions hearings which are similar to the care proceedings setting up all of the evidence to come in and you'll also do non-molestation orders and occupation orders those those are uh, there are quite a few of those about as well where you're it's it's orders for protection against a, another person uh, those are the sort of the bread and butter cases the ones that you do that you do day in day out but also the issues whilst they are similar each case is different so you you have to really look into it and see what your what your case is it's it's really nice to still be able to as joe mentioned before when you have your case and you you win your first case that's a really great feeling that you feel like you really worked on something and you've got a really good result and you'll always take away the, the client that says to, says to you thank you thank you for for helping me win my case but also one that I didn't quite expect was a client said to me as well thank you for listening to me thank you for making my voice heard and I think that's another important uh, one of the questions before what, what the job of a barrister is and why that attracts you for somebody to have a voice in court that's a really powerful thing and for for us as barristers to be able to have that job to give someone that voice is also really really powerful and really important and when a client said that to me I thought wow that's that's a really good thing that we're able to give these people a voice. As I mentioned in my introduction you have both demonstrated that it is absolutely possible to end pupillage during a global pandemic with a tenancy offer um, and so just to conclude this evening, what tips, if any, do you have for current pupils like myself who are undertaking this task 
in these circumstances, or even just tips for survival of pupillage more generally. Um, Joe? Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of surviving pupillage specifically in a pandemic, I think the, the key tip really is know your support networks and don't be afraid to call upon them. And when I say support networks, obviously part of that is within chambers and you'll have certain people within chambers who you'll feel more comfortable talking to than others, whether that be a supervisor or, you know, a junior tenant. I think I've certainly found the whole way through my pupillage that people have very much been open to helping and wanted to hear from you if you have any concerns. And I think particularly during a pandemic and a, a difficult period, make the most of that. You know, don't be afraid to call upon those people and to ask them their opinions. But also outside of work, you know, I'm sure many people will have their own support networks, whether it be friends, family or, or something else. Use those support networks as well. Um, sometimes it can be quite nice to just talk about the job to people who don't do the job because they'll have a different perspective on things. Something that you might be really concerned about or worrying about, they'll come at it from a different perspective. And sometimes that can be really reassuring. So I suppose my first tip, rely on your support networks. And my second tip, to be honest, in relation to surviving in a pandemic would be make the most of the downtime that you might have. You know, I think I certainly found, and I'm sure Fazilia did as well, that the work isn't going to be as thick and fast as it maybe would be ordinarily. You will have days, you will have periods where you won't be doing the same amount of work that you otherwise might expect to be doing. Absolutely do the sorts of things that Fazilia mentioned in terms of, you know, improving your knowledge, reflecting, doing lectures, doing webinars. But I'd also say just take some time for yourself, you know, take some time to just switch off from work entirely, uh, whether that's, you know, putting on a, a box set on Netflix, whether it's going for a run, whatever it might be. Enjoy the downtime when you have it, because in this job, the, the funny thing about this job, particularly at the junior level, when things are so fast paced, is you never really know when you're next going to get that sort of break. You're going to get that downtime. You know, things happen very thick and fast and certainly in the criminal sphere as a pupil, you can expect to get your instructions at 5, 6 p.m. the night before. And most of the time, your evening is spent prepping for the next day. You know, you don't have the ordinary nine to five that other people do. So on that rare occasion, when you do get a free afternoon, you do get a free day because something's not coming to your diary. Don't be sad about it, you know, because it, the diary will fill up, the, the work will come. Just make the most of it. Enjoy it. Because certainly when you are busy and you are slogging away late one evening prepping a case, you'll look back on that time and, and it gets you through. I suppose my other top tip more generally just about pupillage is kind of a tip that my very first supervisor gave to me when I started. And it's really just do the basics. I don't think you have to expect in pupillage to be sort of pulling up trees and to be winning a case in the Court of Appeal during pupillage. But I think the, the thing that you can do that really leaves an impact on people is, is doing the basics. So certainly in crime, that's doing your attendance notes as quickly as you can and getting them off to solicitors so that they know exactly what's happened during the day. It's making sure you prep your case as best you can so that you you know the case, not trying to you know fly by the seat of your pants when you get to court. Although sometimes, unfortunately, the nature of the job is you kind of have to do that. But just doing the basics, keeping in touch with solicitors, keeping in touch with members of chambers, I think that goes a long way and sometimes that gets you noticed more than if you try and you know stand out by winning a case that you maybe you know you otherwise wouldn't win just doing the basics showing everyone that you know you take the job very seriously and that you enjoy the job and you have a passion for the job i, I think goes an awful long way so uh, yeah i think those would be really my my sort of top tips
And Fazila, what about you from the family perspective? What tips might you have for pupils who are currently going through what you were going through this time last year? I would echo both of the points that Joe's made in terms of doing the basics. Don't try and understand everything about the case, but understand the major issues, why they were issues and what the practical steps are to resolve them. And I think it's one one thing about pupillage is that you've worked so hard to get there, but that still requires quite a lot of work during that year. And you've really got to be resilient. You've really got to go through the rough really and and it's it's getting your 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 mind and your body used to a a completely different different style there's nothing really that quite prepares you for pupillage and in a family court you're in you're in court most days so you and it's different cases most days so you you can't you can't learn everything on pupillage as as joe said you just really have to understand the key cases the the key issues in that case what are the issues why are they issues and how are we going to resolve them and I think in terms of the downs, downside, one tip that I still try and tell myself is put your laptop away. When you're, when you're not working, put your laptop away. Because if you don't, even if you don't have a, 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 even if you have a designated space to work, you're always still thinking about the, the issues in your cases. And sometimes it helps just to zip, zip your laptop up, put it away and really try and cut off that, that side. Because that's probably the hardest thing during this in this new way of working that there is no real separation anymore you there's not really a chambers that you go to and discuss the issues you or or prep for your cases all of it is done at home and that means that if you're not careful the whole of your life has taken over in in a case that you don't understand and that you're quite worried about and that's especially difficult in pupils so I think I, I I would really emphasise that using your downtime effectively, putting your laptop away, just trying to, even if it's just rubbish TV that you're going to watch, do that and just use that downtime so that, as Joe said, when you're in, when you're when you're really in, in the thick of it, you you can focus on that. And I would also emphasise use your support network. My co-pupil was invaluable because she knew exactly the position that that I was in. She understood it completely. We were both thrown into this chaos and we both were, were didn't really know where we stood. And, and so the, the key person who really understands not only what it's like to be a pupil, but to be a pupil at the chambers that you're in, that's really, really helpful. And I would use that, that support network. One final question before you go is, do you love your job? And if so, why? Fazila? Yes, I love that every day is different. Joe? Yes, I, I love it because it's a job like no other. And everyone you speak to who does a normal job will be an envy of your job. <laughs> Thank you both. This has been really fantastic. It's given me a lot of encouragement to keep going and um, know that there's an end in sight. Hopefully um, one that has good news for me with tenancy and things like that and for everyone else that is in my position too in chambers all across the UK. So thank you very, very much for coming on and sharing your experience and for talking so openly and honestly about how difficult it was and the challenges that you faced. Um, I'm sure lots of people listening to this will really appreciate that. So thank you very much and good night. Thank you very much. Thank you for having thank us. You. Thanks for listening to the Raising the Bar podcast. 
please subscribe, rate and review. And for more information, check us out on Twitter at RaisingTheBarGI.